0: Welcome to yet another edition of comfortably a the official podcast of the umbrella society my name is blake anderson i'm the host of this program i'm also the programs manager here at the umbrella society beautiful victoria british columbia on the traditional unceded territories of the Lakongan speaking people and this ladies and gentlemen is our last podcast of 2023 i'm very excited that we have just passed the winter solstice we are moving from the darkness towards the light i know this is a very optimistic glass half full uh comment considering um the winter solstice was just yesterday so we got a ways to go and uh man this is a really difficult time of year for for folks i know um you know the holiday season you know is is fantastic and comes with uh and wonderful celebrations and, and time for family, but it can also be very triggering um, and troubling times for folks. And, uh, you know, put on top of that is how dark it is outside. I think that really does uh, work wonders on on someone's mental health. You know, I know for myself, um, you know, I'm I, somebody who works out in the morning. So I leave the house at about 645 and it's pitch black and I work in my office all day and come outside and get home and it's pitch black. You know, that, that does start taking its toll on you um, after a while. And and I think we really need to be intentional with finding ways to, uh, you know, bring that light. And I know coming together in connection and, um, you know, celebrating each other, this is, uh, you know, a great way to do it. And, um, you know, I, I'm really actually excited about this, uh, this podcast that we're going to be having today. Uh, we actually are bringing in a member of uh, the, the Umbrella Fold, um, but through a different way. We're bringing on a, a board member for the first time. Um, since I have been doing this podcast, uh, today we're bringing on a, a lady by the name of Kristen. Kristen's joined our board, uh, this past year. Um, she's also been part of our recovery campaign. Uh, Kristen, uh, works at a very prominent, uh, construction company in, in this town that, that, you know, I, I think just does, does a wonderful job, uh, recognizing the challenges of, uh, substance use in the trades and, and also providing an opportunity for folks in recovery to, uh, you know, gain employment. So, you know, I, am really happy that Kristen is not only aligned with this organization, but that she's agreed to do this podcast today and a really great way to close out, uh, the year, uh, with celebrating another strong female voice in recovery. So, um, yeah, very happy to have Kristen on the program. Okay, Kristen, thank you so much for coming in today. Um, Yeah, it's been absolutely uh, fantastic that you agreed to be part of our recovery campaign this year. And also, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to join our board. I know that you are now a member of our board of directors and... I know that this is a volunteer position and takes time out of out of your busy life, but we really appreciate it and it kind of keeps Umbrella rolling. So uh, thank you so much and thanks for coming in and agreeing to do this podcast.
1: All right. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be here and it's, it's a pleasure to um, have involved with, with Umbrella. I mean, the work they're doing is so fantastic and so needed, and I'm really excited to see what the future has for them. Um, so, you know, one of the reasons I first got involved with Umbrella was I, I actually knew someone from Umbrella, but also because I'm in recovery myself. Right. And um, one of the things I've learned, especially, of you know, as the years go on in recovery, is it's so important to stay connected um, with people in recovery, um, with gratitude, with being humble. And I, I'm just so impressed with what Umbrella is doing. Um, for me, um, you know, I grew up around uh, addiction and alcohol, but in the seventies, this was, it was normalized really. I mean, alcohol was everywhere with my parents' parties. I come from a a Scottish background, my family, you uh, you know, it was just, (laughs) I didn't realize it wasn't normal for people to get fall down drunk on a regular basis. Um, You know, there was a lot of addiction in my family, even though it wasn't identified as that. Um, you know, as I grew up, I also grew up in a town where where you know getting drunk and and drinking were completely normalized, accepted um and probably around junior high is when I started you know sneaking alcohol and and so were a lot of kids in in my recollection, it was everyone in reality, it mm-hmm. was not <laughs> right um but as the years went on, you know there there was the binge drinking there was you know, fortunately for me and, and most people I knew, there was no huge repercussions at that time. Right. Um, just
0: kids having fun and just kind of the ex- right. Of exactly, passage. it was. You right. know, I
1: grew up in a town that was you know outside of Vancouver. It was fairly safe. Um, you know, car accidents probably were the biggest risk, but but right. in general, it was a pretty safe place for kids. So, um, you know, time went on and. And life went on and I went off to university and again, it was party, party, party. Uh, You know, I still managed to get all my courses done.
0: Right. So it wasn't having a big, uh, you know, a significant impact on your life at this point, at least that in your kind of.
1: Yeah. I mean, I didn't think it did, but in reality it did. I just It was part of the justification of it being okay behavior um, because, you know, I see everyone around me doing it. Um, you know, my career progressed. I moved to California for a couple of years and lit, worked in, and lived in the Silicon Valley after my my undergrad degree in science. Um, and again, you know, there was a lot of a lot of the same kind of activities there with people. Um, you know, all every celebration was surrounded by alcohol. Um, I, I probably started to realize around that time that it was unhealthy. I saw what what was happening in my with some of my family members, and okay. clearly there was some issues and I realized that there was, you know, generational genetic links. Um how
0: old were you at this point?
1: This was in my mid-twenties. Okay. Um but the other thing was with moving to the United States is alcohol is available everywhere. Every corner ate- store, every gas station. Um and at first I had roommates, but later on I lived alone. And that's that's the point when I first, you know, I'll just, you know, grab a bottle of wine and you know, while well, I live alone, so it's okay. Just all the justifications that happen. Right. Um, I then returned to Vancouver and and did my grad school and my PhD. Um, oh, I, I should preface the fact that my my whole life I've I've had challenges with anxiety, uh, depression, nightmares, insomnia, things like that. Okay. So that was some underlying triggers issues, I had that right. I was trying to, um, social anxiety, um, I tend to be quite introverted. So these were all things I was kind of using alcohol yeah. as a tool to, right. you know, self-medicate so or The social or, lubricant. Or, the, exactly. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but through grad school, a lot of my friends had, you know, moved on with careers, were starting to have families and less and less people drank they just naturally started to kind of tone back on the partying Um, so at that time i started you could always find someone to party with but it was always different people and still justifying Mm. you know in my mind this is okay you know these people are going out not realizing that that these people aren't going out as much as i am right um through grad school you know i kind of had this co-addiction of workaholism which kind of kept kept the alcohol at bay to a point because I was doing my research, it was very demanding. Um, Mm -hmm. My courses were very demanding. And there was about six years, I I also had some healthy habits as well. I played a lot of sports, I played soccer and ultimate and beach volleyball, and I I walked and rode my bike and I had, you know, a lot of um, friends that did sports as well. So that
0: so you're functioning, you know, quite well. Obviously, like you're still progressing in your life. You're still doing, you know, participating in in healthy, normal activities. And I think sometimes, almost that's that's almost a harder place to be to actually be able to recognize, um, you know, the the challenges with your substance use, right? Is absolutely if you're still kind of getting the job done, as it were, right?
1: Absolutely, and it's it's easier to justify and 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 really, it's that internal battle that started to go on in my own my own conscience of going, hmm, I you know, I, I really think I have a problem. I know there's others in my family that have a problem. Um, I see what this looks like. I don't, and this is the point where I start to realize, I don't think I could stop this if I wanted to. I don't think that, right. I, I think this rules my life now. Mm-hmm. And I hated that. It really bothered me. I'm very, you know, independent. I like to, I'm, I'm rather a bit of a control freak when it comes to things so okay. that really started to eat at me and I started that's when I started to really have this kind of internal battle within myself and and other people as far as I knew again probably not true weren't noticing this yet okay. um, I did live alone all through grad school too so this was another theme for me was the isolation and the kind of being a hermit Right, um, my family didn't really know because, you know, I'd see them once in a while, you know. I, I had this air of success from the outside.
0: Right. You could put on the facades and you know, the right. Exactly. Yeah, the you know, I've got there, my yeah.
1: I've got my Bachelor of Science. I worked in the Silicon Valley. Now I'm getting my PhD in microbiology, you know, by all I, I would play all these sports, you know. Right. But really I lived alone and in, in, in private, you know, I'm I'm regularly drinking alone at this point. Not not right. during the day yet. Not, so th- there's a real, you know, if I if I mapped it out, it, it would be a pretty clear progression from mm. childhood all the way up to when I finally found recovery. Um, but I was dealing with a lot of anxiety and depression. the The whole process of doing your PhD is a very kind of degrading and and difficult old boys club kind of. You know, you have to take the pain and the suffering in order to earn this. Right. Kind of and. and for me, being hypersensitive and, and hard on myself, that was really difficult. Um, I did ultimately finish my PhD, but what happened at the end of that is, you know, I had dreams to go out and work internationally, dreams to do kind of more developmental work, public health, um, but all of those things were voluntary. And at the end of a PhD, you, you're not a rich person. <laughs> right. Okay. You, you don't have any money, you have student right. loans. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of felt like I, I, you know, I've gone through this whole process, I've done all this work, and now, I, I want to achieve my dreams, but even more so, what was keeping me from achieving my me, my dreams was knowing that I, alcohol now controlled my life. I right. couldn't not drink. Um, you know, I'm, I'm planning how am I how am I going to get alcohol? Okay, I've, I've got this activity to do today, and then I can go and I can get some wine and I can go home and be by myself. And um, the other thing that happened is I had this focus, uh, uh, the workaholism, I guess, so to speak, for all these years. Hmm. The end of you know, I'm done my PhD. What do I do next? It's
0: this huge letdown, right? So it, yeah, and you I, hear about I, this a ton, right? Yeah, you've achieved something, and then it's like,
1: yeah. now what do I? Yeah, right. now what do I do? Right. I was I was a bit lost, and I had some great offers, but they were um, far away, and at that point, I I felt too weak and broken down and defeated to really pursue them. Mm. It was also going into fall at the time, right? Um, which winter I find very difficult. Yeah, and I remembered how much I loved living on the island and and had done my undergrad degree here at UVic and thought well, I'm going to go back to the island not thinking about well I don't I don't really know anyone on the island anymore right. and I I lived alone again and that's when things got really bad So, so
0: how, how how old were you at this point when you moved back to the island?
1: This was when I was 34 34 Okay yeah So I lived back in Vancouver for about eight years and then um, came back to the island. I did have a few friends here, but again, everyone's moved on. They have families, they have careers Mm -hmm. at this point. Um, So it was really easy for me to disappear. I, I had a job that was across the street and there was a liquor store next to my condo and Mm. That was my life. But at this point, I was starting to get very physically ill. Um, okay. My stomach was bleeding. I, I couldn't eat. I couldn't keep down water. Right. I started to have withdrawal so that I had to have a little bit in the morning just to right. get so by. The... I mean, I, I never drove anywhere, which was good. But, um, but
0: That's a scary place to be, obviously, yeah, when it... you when you physically can't function without... The alcohol and and we, yeah. we hear this yeah it's, it's so prevalent right that how you kind of get caught in this cycle then, yeah. yeah then you have to kind of drink just to function at this point yeah, yeah
1: absolutely and and I spent I, I think it was probably a year and a half in this state and um and it was miserable I mean it was my life was miserable I still tried to but you know. My friends from, from elsewhere, the mainland, you know, I'd moved to Victoria, so they didn't really expect to hear from me. And mm. um, I actually went down at one point and, and visited my brother in Los Angeles. And he's the first person who actually said something to me. Oh, OK. Um, actually, that's not true. I had one friend I played sports with in Vancouver who, who kind of tried to talk to me about it. Okay. And I just stopped hanging around with them. That was my, my way of running away from it. You right. know, this is uh, not
0: based that. Yeah, but my reality. brother, my
1: brother had a you know a stern conversation with me, and I, I knew he was right. Um, you know, I, I I don't deny that he knows our family's history and. Uh, uh,
0: how did he broach? If my he was actually asking.
1: driving me to the airport, and I think he was really uncomfortable about it. Okay, but he knew someone had to say something. Right. Um, and and I was very uncomfortable, but but I also knew he was right. I think it was a very difficult thing for him to do and and, and I appreciate it. Um, because it made me start to realize this whole hermit thing's not, not working. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. not that I wanted it to work, you know, it's not it's not fun anymore at that point. You're just no. you're just trying to feel normal. You're so sick and, and miserable. You just want to feel normal. And of course, all of the, the, the things that I was I was trying to mask, the anxiety, the depression or, or and insomnia are hugely amplified. Mm. Due to the addiction, so you're you're actually you're in this horrible vicious cycle, and um, I finally got to the point. Um, it's it's different than most people because a lot of people are kind of encouraged to go to treatment. I I knew I'm either going to die or I'm going to ask for help. That's right. that's my two choices here. There's no more. You know, for a long time I didn't want to give it up because it was my it was my crutch, hmm. even though I knew it was also you know my downfall. Right. Um, but I knew at that point that that, were, that was my only two choices. Um I wish it didn't take me to get to that point to do something about it, to ask for help. Right. Um It did.
0: How hard was it for you to, to finally reach out? I mean, that must have been a, there's been years kind of in the making and, yeah. and, you know, and it's not like the conversation had come up much before it sounds like. And no. So.
1: Well, the funny thing is it was my, my family, not my brother, but my, my parents I talked to and my mom kind of just minimized it a bit. I think because it was so normal with our upbringing and our families right. and through generations, you like, know, oh, are you well. really sure, you know, yeah. are you sure you really, you know, is it is it that bad? I'm like, yeah, it's, it's that bad. Like I'm, I'm you know, I, I, my, my stomach's bleeding, I can't eat, I can't function. Right. Um, you know, I was still going to work every day across the street, which was amazing, but I, it was a really, not a very, happy job. I worked okay. in a cubicle and it was um, managing cancer trials. So, you know, it was it was difficult mm-hmm. work. Um, but I started by going to meetings and I found just going to meetings alone was without changing everything else in my life was, was not going to cut it. So mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to be able to go and seek um, residential treatment. I first went um, over to an island off Vancouver. And I, I don't know if it's to add insult to injury, but my mom rode the ferry over with me, and it was one of the first days of um, when they started years they started celebrating four hundred and twenty. So okay. <laughs> that was that was my ferry ride over. It was a bit right. awkward and weird. Okay, um, but the the and and I was very sick too. Um, but I arrived at the facility, which was it was it was a great facility, and the first person I saw. Was my old soccer coach from the mainland? Oh no way! Who I'd kind of heard had had um, gone to treatment and been in recovery, but he was just a super great guy, and it was, it was probably one of the biggest reliefs because right. it was like, oh my gosh, here's this person I know and trust and like, and is he's super outgoing and friendly, mm-hmm. and he was working there. Okay, so that was really cool, um, and the, you know, the first few days are, are difficult because you're, you're quite. Sick, mm-hmm. um, but something that was so amazing to me, having been a hermit, was that all these people had really similar experiences to me. And I thought it was just me. I thought no one would understand. Right. Um, and that was such a relief to have that. And, and I know people say it a lot: that connection is is one of the most important things in recovery. And and it's mm-hmm. true. It is true. As well as finding, I think finding a purpose in life is right. really important for people too. Um, having, you know, nutrition, having exercise, um, having, uh, you know, means to learn how uh, to meditate or um, things like cognitive behavioral therapy, art therapy, all of these things I think are parts of that really important part of it. Um, And that's something that's really missing. I mean, I I was lucky to be able to, to go to residential treatment. Um, That's not an option for a lot of people and I think it's absolutely necessary um, for us to get public access to that because mm-hmm. for someone to become sober say detox or something like that and then go back to the same life they've, they've always had right. it's, it's not gonna work there needs to be the support of the primary recovery and then all of the support afterwards you know I mean umbrella right. obviously has some really great staged recovery houses and um there needs to be all the whole continuum of care. Right. To so really it's a, help it's a long people.
0: process, right? To, yeah. To recover. It's not just, you know, I think some people feel, yeah, just get away from the substance and that's fine. Well, there's like you say, yeah. there's so many other elements that need to come into it, right? It, yeah.
1: yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there, I think there's always underlying for people. I mean, there's, it's physiological, it's psychological, it's genetic, um, but there's usually other triggers, either traumas or um, anxiety, depression mm-hmm. was was what it was for me, um, that all all feed into it. It's such a complex disease. Yeah, um, so it requires a complex treatment and, and ongoing support. And um, you know, I, I spent six weeks there, and felt the the best i'd probably ever felt in my life you know did a lot of work around counseling and around you know past things you know everyone in the world i think has their things and certainly you know in developing nations our challenges are not are not you know basic food and shelter usually but for a lot of people in addiction that's where they find themselves coming from even though here we are in a developed nation um and they don't have the basic needs um so I, i i think it would be, it seems that the, the public money has been a little bit misdirected or only directed to a few pieces of the, of the puzzle. And there right. really needs to be a, I, I think the money is there and I think the money is being spent. It's just maybe not being spent in the right places.
0: Yeah. That that rehabilitation, you know, aspect and, and like you say, yeah. I, I feel that everyone, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in treatment too. I think that there's a, you know, to actually remove yourself and, and, you know, from your current surroundings and have that time and space to actually figure out who you are and and what your life is going to look like, you know, uh, without substances in your life, it's 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 a huge challenge. I think if anyone has the courage to to go and do that, they should be able to, right? You know, and um, yeah, and the support the support needs to be there if someone reaches out. So yeah, I, I'm I'm a big I agree with you. I think the money is there. It just needs to be yeah. allocated in the right places, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. And yeah. and I mean, I think. You know, some people have had families or careers. Uh, you know, everyone's susceptible to addiction. I mean, that's yeah. the other thing I noticed. You know, there's there's doctors, lawyers, airline pilots, nurses, mm-hmm. um, and then there's there's people who who really have never had support. Say we're in the foster system and have, sure. have never Absolutely. had. A strong support system in their lives and, and different people are going to need different things and I think helping people find a passion in their lives you know depending on their background some people have had big traumas too and that's mm-hmm. going to be a much more complex treatment because that needs to be addressed Absolutely. and supported as well right. um, so you know I, anyways I felt fantastic when I left here I came back to Victoria thinking I had the world by the horns to the same job, the same life. Right. And it was, lasted for a while. But was there,
0: was there much of a, of a transition plan in place for no, you when you left? Not yeah, really. Which sometimes is is the case, unfortunately, right? There's, yeah. Yeah, there's, uh,
1: yeah. And at the time I left there, I felt like I, felt, I was really it. strong. And, yeah. and, um, you know, I think, I think the difficulty is, and, and this is something for a lot of family members and loved ones supporting someone to know that, you know, you, you get better yes that that's true but staying better is mm. difficult and and sometimes it takes a lot more than just going somewhere for six weeks and coming back that's I mean that's necessary and helpful but that's it's not step in the, right the direction. Whole, it's right. not the whole solution yeah. um, you know I, I think you kind of almost need to change everything within reason I mean maybe not your family and, and things like that some, right. some for some people Maybe family too, um, if there's a really toxic element there. Yeah, sure. um, but certainly activities, um, you know, y- you need to change your habits. Yes. Basically, yeah. your other habits too, because otherwise you just end up back in the same spot. Right. Um, and that's essentially what happened to me.
0: How long did you last once you were out? So you kind of, like you said, think, you came right back to the same situation that yeah, you left. Yeah, and right.
1: Yeah, and and it, you know it it was caught. I don't want to say caught. It was, um, I didn't fall back into addiction long before I got help again, because at that point it never gets, it's better. It's just the same, but worse. Um, so I ended up going to treatment again. It was probably four or five months later. Um, and it was a different facility, also a great facility. This one was on the Island. Um, and again, really worked through things, but started to realize at that point, I need to change a, a lot more and I'm going to need to do a lot more work following this. Mm-hmm. Um, that time I was, it was around Christmas, I was out um, and that lasted about two months. <laughs> okay. Middle of the winter, depressed, still not feeling like I can achieve my dreams That lights getting further away. Right. Um, and so then I. I went back to that same facility again in in more of an aftercare situation, not going through the full full program this time, okay, kind of more well. as a support system.
0: Okay, just to kind of recalibrate and kind of get yeah, have a right safe track. place and yeah.
1: and support. Um, yes. Because again, this whole time I still I still live alone. Right. Um, and can
0: I ask how long did it take for you know? Um, you to get the point to realize oh i need to go back and, and get that help was it you know were you
1: it was pretty instant it was it, just so more you, the shame of of, of so fail, feeling like i failed which okay. i All think right. that's something that needs to change a bit when right. when people feel like if they relapse well i just you know screw it i give up I, right. I can't do this 100% not to feel shamed and 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 there are some in the community that you know that we, we know that shame is a huge part of addiction, and right. it certainly was for me, um, being ashamed of what you've done, being ashamed mm-hmm. of you know uh, the stigma of society and everything, um, but there are some recovery type um, methods that, that I feel tend to shame people a little more about the idea of relapsing when mm-hmm. really it should be, you know, it's okay, just right. keep going.
0: Yeah, you just know what, keep
1: going just keep falling forward get right. get up just keep going and not not shaming people for learn
0: for, that. well I always you know I always see that that shame and guilt you know in, in our groups you know I I think that really fuels the fire of addiction I think that that's Absolutely. that's where addiction eats up but also you know I look at it as if, if you're if your relapse is just surrounded with shame and guilt then you aren't going to be able to learn from it that well because you're not even going to want to look at it it's too no. painful. And it's, if we can strip away that shame and guilt, we can actually look and learn from. Hey, what what happened there? What changes do I need to make? Right? Yeah. And that that being able to look at it objectively, I think, is a challenge. But I think a lot of times that shame and guilt is also put upon us as, as well, or put upon you know folks who do have a relapse. You know, and that's hard. And I kind of get it from the family's point of view that have been working so hard. And but but I I don't think it's helpful. So yeah. No, absolutely. it's
1: definitely not. In 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 fact, I think it totally exacerbates it if, mm-hmm. if they are shamed for it. And there's some of the more old school type, um, I don't want to say old boys club, just old school stuff that, that kind of, I think supports that a little bit mm-hmm. The the shaming of, of the relapse when, right. when I think that's problematic. And I think that it always needs to be positive and, and supportive. Right. Um, fortunately after that, that, uh, It was about a month, I guess, I I was back there that time. Um, I was able to meet people in recovery that were the right people to support each other. Um, I got rid of the job um, and I actually did some traveling, which I I wouldn't recommend for for everyone probably, Um, but when traveling is one of my passions. So for Mm. me, it was a perfect time to go somewhere very different. Um, and and get kind of get reset Right. so I went traveling for about three months um, and then came back and actually that's when I, I kind of moved away from my science career which had a lot of I loved science but what I didn't love was you know the, the egos and the bureaucracy and right. and the politics and, and all that part of it Fair um, enough. And I actually started working. Uh, that was the first time I was working in construction. And I, and I actually had been kind of doing project management and science already. I really liked project management. Um, so I started to do that. Um, and then about a year after that, I ended up having my son um, and getting married. And And those were all things I never thought I would do. I never thought I would have kids because I didn't ever think I could stop drinking. And right. I knew you, you don't want to drink when you're pregnant, obviously. Right. Okay. Um, so... So that was all big changes in my life. Um, I eventually did go back to science for a few years more in a project management capacity. Um, but that was about 12 years ago. My partner and I had already decided uh, on starting our companies. We incorporated our companies. Um, the market was pretty slow mm. at that time in Victoria. Uh, so he stayed with with his large company he'd worked at in many years and then um, started in earnest around 2017 because it really started to pick up here. Um, I finished my research I was doing and joined him um, in 2018. Um, Since then, our our companies have grown um, exponentially. We're we're very fortunate. I mean, a lot of it was good timing too, Um, but we really started our company too on the the premise of of teamwork, integrity. Um, Everyone is valued. Um, That's very important to us, and it's, it's difficult in the construction industry to to always adhere to it, and mm. it, we we all have our moments, but we always come back to those values. Um, and something that that we realize very much, we you know, we we belong to the Vancouver Island Construction Association, and they've got some great tools. And I think they even coordinate with Umbrella a little bit yeah. um, for some industry specific groups. But um, a, a recent coroner's report shows, I think I, I can't remember what the percentage. Percentages, but the vast majority of overdose deaths are people in the construction and transport industries. Right. Um, even within our own company, we've been able to. Um, we have quite a few people in recovery,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: cool. but we also have helped other people get into treatment, get into recovery, and then they've come back to work for us afterwards. Um, we we get all our supervisors trained. On um, the Vic has got uh, a program where they'll go up and train train supervisors to help identify and support people. Right. Um, so i think that's that's really important to identify and and that's what umbrella always says you know they meet people where they are mm-hmm. um i think that, that that's a great opportunity to to within our industry mm-hmm. um you know even even maybe put flyers in their paychecks about different groups they they can go to because i i know for me all, all that time thinking about it and thinking about the help if there was a really easy place for me to have gone to right. find out that if it was like he, right in private, front of your face. Right? Yeah, yeah, private yeah. and right. confidential that I could yeah. have gone and maybe gotten some information. I think it, it may maybe not, but it may have encouraged me to seek help more quickly. Right. Um I, I think, you know, it's especially for men it can be more difficult as well because uh, I think this is changing too with new generations, but but my generation you know, boys don't cry, boys don't right. talk, boys, you know, suck it up. And, and I mean, I think that's something that's really problematic too. Right. Um, so I'm hoping that's changing as well.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's funny when my, my, my role working at Foundation House as the manager for, for years, that was, you know, um, that was one of my big roles was to, <laughs> to try to help men talk about their feelings and actually let that guard down it's really hard and i think that is something that's kind of indentured into our culture unfortunately and and i think it's more prominent almost in construction you know and yeah i mean obviously yeah the stats don't don't lie you know it's so prominent um you know I, i am glad to see that there are some interventions being done but what where do you think that 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 roots from is it more just is just embedded in the culture i i know my, um, myself you know being in construction just felt like it was normalized yeah that using was kind of normalized and it was almost kind of glorified in a sense it was you'd, i
1: think you know, that's definitely part of it the whole the you know the whole tough guy image and hmm. and i mean i think the the reluctance to seek help too is you know you don't show your weak side you don't show your you right. don't show your belly right you 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 keep it close to you and toughen up. And I think it's a lot of that historical macho kind of, you know, thing that ends up working against people that really want help. Um, I, I see some indications it's changing a bit, but I think it's just, it's, it's been a rough and tough industry for, for decades. You know, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. pretty new that women are starting to get involved in, and hopefully we'll see more and more, um, especially in the trades. Um, you know, but I, I, I think that's, of it too it was kind of one of the traditional tough guy right careers to have right
0: so kind of that that yeah boys don't cry is, yeah. is almost uh amplified yeah in the, in the trades yeah yeah absolutely definitely well I'm I'm really happy that you know that, that you've taken that approach or you your 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 organization to provide that sport and kind of keep the conversation going I think that's that's huge and normalizing getting help and seeking recovery I think that's really cool yeah, yeah
1: and obviously not judging people too and supporting them and and making them feel comfortable hmm. um, in in letting us know if, if they need help or they need support as well right. um, and that they're not going to be judged or 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 it's not going to stop their progression in the company right because it's it's just a, a, a Illness that that someone needs support in in treating, and part of that support is is having you know stable employment and right. support and a a place to live and yeah. you know I mean on the very basic level we have so many people that don't don't have those things, right. um, so we're we're more than happy to do what we can to to provide that support and understanding and, and caring too, right. you right. know we, we we care we're not we're not here to judge we're here to support actually you have
0: your back yeah. yeah. And I think that that is the other piece to it. You know, there's the machismo, but there's also, um, yeah, that job security and not wanting, hey, if I let on that, I've got this problem. Is this going to impact my employment, you know, or impact, like you say, your progression in, in, in the organization, right? So, yeah. And we see this, you know, so many people who reach out to us for help a lot of times, they don't want to tell their work and their employer yeah. and, and even if they've got good benefits and they've got a good union and, and, and hey this is something to just talk about and get out there and seek the supports. I, I'm glad now because like you say things have changed a lot since the yeah since the 70s and and it you know I think people are now recognizing that this is you know uh, an issue that so many people face. I love that you've mentioned you know uh, such a wide demographic of people, right? It's, uh, it's all types, right? So yeah, yeah, just be able to talk about it openly, I think is huge. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. And I mean, there's definitely things that are more difficult for one person than another too. I mean, a single parent, it's going to be difficult for them Mm -hmm. to go to treatment. So there, there might need to be a variety of different, um, types of facilities too. You know, I, I, the the one thing I, I would say about, um, both different centers I went to is there's a little bit too much of a one size fits all approach. I mean, a a teenager doesn't have the same life experience as, you know, a a 60 year old minister, for example. And I think there's great benefits in mixing those groups together. But I think there sometimes need to be a a different approach. You know, someone who's unhoused and grew up in the foster system Mm -hmm. is very different than someone who's, you know, older and, Never had those particular challenges. Again, I think it's good for there to be interaction, but I think they, there's going to be a, le- a certain level of them needing different things as well, right? Um, because maybe you, you've never known what it's like to create a budget, um, to to buy groceries, um, right. and and to take care of yourself. So maybe there needs to be some basic life skills taught. Whereas, you know, for for someone else, it might be dealing with a, a deep trauma. You know, mm. I mean, there, there's going to be I don't think the one size fits all works either. Right. But I think if they, they have all the tools there, they can tailor it to what that particular person needs.
0: Yeah. You know, you're 100 percent right. You know, it's, it should be a needs based kind of support. Right. Based yeah. On what, you know, what, what people are, are needing uh, to recover. And yeah, no, we're we're of the of the mind that it's definitely not a one size fits all model. And yeah. that everybody's, um, you know, approach at this needs to be individual and and tailored to, to them. and and what's going to work for them so yeah um so i mean in in, in your I, i'm you know situation i was i'm really must be grateful that you had that ability to kind of go back a couple times and and yes. get nope. it right and uh what did you know so once you kind of felt like you had it you went traveling what did your maintenance you know, look like or what and it you know is there anything that you you still do now you know i, I don't know how many years long you are but you've
1: about 14, 14 now. years.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, obviously what, what you do to kind of maintain recovery changes over time, but definitely there, what, what are, what are your kind of key principles kind of, you know, kind of at the beginning stages of that, you know, of that stretch, but also now,
1: well, in the early days, um, I didn't actually, um, have access to recovery housing. I think that would have been really helpful. Right. Um, and, and, even from the first time I went I think that would have been helpful. They do have kind of extended stays sometimes at the treatment centers, but it's quite expensive. Mm. um you know, I wanted to go back and make money right um but i think I think the idea of the staged recovery houses is is crucial. um I would have liked to have had access to that um right. keeping connected with people in recovery, going to meetings, keeping connected there's usually a conduit to be keep connected to. Um, the center you went to, if you're close enough, sure. there's there's alumni meetings you can go to. That's really crucial in the early days, and, and finding healthy hobbies, habits, maybe right. you've always wanted to learn to paint, maybe photography, maybe a sport.
0: Right. Now, Getting do involved
1: right. in something like that, ma- making new, fr- new healthy friends.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, something that's completely different to focus on, something, I mean, I think people need a purpose in life. Mm-hmm. Trying to get on the road to that purpose, doing what you're passionate about um, that's healthy. Um, that helped me a lot. Um, and then going, you know, avo- obviously avoiding situations where there's whatever the drug of choice is, alcohol. Um, so, you know, the early days, it wasn't that fun to go out for dinner gotcha. <laughs> because yeah. there was always wine with dinner or camping, things like that. Yeah. Eventually I could go back and do those things, but in right. the early years I, I kind of avoided them. Steered clear for a bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember, you know in the early days thinking you know okay well you know life's just not going to be fun now which was crazy thinking because it was not fun at the end Uh, but now i look back and and realize that was that was really how hijacked the brain is to think that that you needed that to feel good when it's you know i I love waking up without a hangover i love not having to worry about driving my car and that not missing half a day because i'm sleeping um, as the years go go on, it gets easier. The, the first few years are, are more difficult, but yeah. I think really surrounding yourself with support and really finding things you're passion, passionate about, hobbies um, you want to get back to or that you want to try. Um, for for me, traveling was a great outlet. That's not always possible for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, hiking was it, right. was and always has been a huge outlet for me. It's very um, I want to say meditative. I have a very busy mind so I'm I'm not one of those people who's ever had much success just sitting and yeah. meditating but yoga's been great for me because okay. the combination of moving with um with the the kind of meditation components really worked for me.
0: That's funny. I, I always recommend yoga and hiking as ways to check off multiple boxes. Yeah, right? absolutely. A physical exercise piece, there's a meditative piece, there's can be the social piece to that. Yeah, yeah. And,
1: right. well, and living on Vancouver Island, I mean, right. we're, we're in a pretty awesome spot for that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, as the years went on, it got easier. Now it's not something that, uh, I don't want to say it doesn't cross my mind. Absolutely it does. It does I don't feel like I'm missing out for the last many years. I don't mm. feel like I'm missing out. I think I am so grateful that 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 doesn't rule my life anymore.
0: Right. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. And and I, you know Do I still work on things? Absolutely. I mean, there's still all the underlying personality things that um the hypersensitivity, resentment, negativity. We're wired we're humans are wired to be negative as a survival instinct. So trying to overcome that is is a constant battle for me um so yeah that that all continues but again connecting with people also in recovery that understand you have conversations about it that's how that connections how you you continue to move forward i think
0: yeah get it out of your head and yeah Yeah. talk about it and seek feedback and yeah absolutely with like-minded people that you know kind of understand where you're going yeah what you going through absolutely right Oh, that's, that's great. Well, I mean, obviously it's, uh, you know, it's, it's been a, a journey, but you know, it's great to see that you've made it on the other side of it. And I think it's given you great insight too, as to, you know, what is needed, um, you know, and uh, obviously bringing that to the board, you know, at Umbrella is, is super helpful. And we always appreciate, you know, you can bring your lived experience to, you know, to the table. And I, I think that's so important. Um, you know, if if you do you know come across someone who is in addiction, or if you know speaking right now to the people who may be listening, who are in active addiction, um, you know what kind of advice would you give them?
1: You don't have to stay suffering. There there is help, and you know, I would find a way to direct them hopefully towards the help that would be of most use to them. Um, in saying that, I kind of bite my tongue a bit. Because what I'd what I'd really like to see is proper support treatment continuum of care for people. Because there are limited resources right now. Um, I mean, Umbrella is doing an amazing job in in filling a lot of the continuum of care, but I, I'd like to see the public money do a lot more. So you could actually tell that person there is help here. It is. Right. Um, Right now, I I think I would probably direct them to a meeting or go with them to a meeting, Um, take them, introduce them to people, um, maybe share a bit about my experience. Say, you know, it's it is hard at first. It's hard to imagine life without without this. It is possible, um, and do everything I can to find the tools to do that. But I, I really think, you know, we we talk about the opioid crisis, for example, or any any addiction issue. Um, you know, in my opinion, it's one of, one of the most, if not the most important issue in public health in Canada today. Mm. Um, and it just kind of seems to keep getting swept under the rug a little bit. Um, mm. Or or these band-aid solutions, that they're, they're, when they're not contiguous, they're, it, it's not going to solve the problem. And it, if we can provide proper care for people, Um, A lot more people are going to get better. They're Mm going to have happy lives. They're going to become productive members of society. There's going to be a reduction of cost to the medical system, to the criminal system, um, which I think will will help with the stigma as well. So uh, I I guess I would do anything to help that that one person that I could with with the tools that are available. But really, um, I, I think I'd like to find more ways to help, encourage and direct the resources we need to properly right. help people.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah
1: there, there are some resources available. Absolutely. But we need more.
0: Yeah. You, you know, I mean, you just you hit the nail on the head. You know, I, I just love what you just said, you know, for, for me, one of the biggest frustrations is that someone can come to us or can come to other community partners and say, I, I want to make a change and that we can't provide that change in real time. You know, yeah. Hey, get on even even for a seven day detox. Hey, get on the list and uh, go through this process. And then, uh, you know, we'll call you in. you know, tell four you four to-, to six weeks, you know, yeah. and and yeah. Hey, in six months we may be able to secure you a bed, you know, um had yeah, a government funded facility. Yeah, that doesn't um, work. Doesn't 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 work in, in this in this line. Um, so that real time support, uh, you know, and you brought up the second stage options, too. So, we're yeah, if we put in money, uh to, to boost the, the treatment side of things, but then have no after plan and yeah. no supports for people to come back and transition back into community and become, you know, contributing members of our community uh in a safe supportive setting. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's a it's a it's a big loss. And and it's it's really hard because people keep looking at as if this problem it is a very complex problem, but we haven't exactly exhausted um our options. No. You know, when it comes to the supports, right? So
1: Um, No, and in fact, some of the things that have been done, I I think, have made made the problem much worse and been enabling. mm -hmm. And and we're not talking about small sums of money here either, Mm -hmm. you know. And um, it it's just, it's it's really too bad. And I think, you know, maybe I see it more as a as a nonprofit public partnership. Um, but i'd like to see you know the government supporting the nonprofits more in in mm-hmm. providing those solutions because they do have the boots on the ground they they are doing the work already mm-hmm. um and and largely um it's people in recovery involved in these and right. a, that's something else i i think is probably it's it's a bit of a blanket statement but i said i i think it's difficult for someone to be a drug and alcohol counselor um or even physician for that matter, unless you're in recovery, right. because it is so complex and, and you really need to understand all the underlying feelings. And and that's one of the things that helped me get better is, is understanding there's all these personality traits and things associated. Um, and for me as a scientist, I also appreciated learning the physiological and genetic components right. of it. Sure. Not everyone might care to know that but but that's the the nerd in me really like to go oh wow you know that that makes sense why that would happen um speaks to the individual approach exactly yeah exactly well i I liked the art therapy i think is another great one but anyways those are are just some examples of different things are going to work for different people right um but yeah i mean it, it is something that i i think about a lot about how can i how can i or or we or us as a society find a way to you know i don't think you're ever going to be solving a problem 100% but boy you could sure help a lot of people mm-hmm. yeah um there's a lot of people i think that want to get better and they just don't know where to go
0: right, right. well listen i am I'm, I'm really happy that that you now are part of the board and you can help you know instill that change and uh like i said we need we need more people in our corner so i'm really really um grateful that you've kind of taken that that call to action and and you know really doing something about it so and using your experience to to help others and that's what it's all about too so
1: well thank you it's it's an honor to uh, be able to to be involved with umbrella I really admire everybody here in the team and and what you guys are doing so I, I'm happy to contribute in any way I can uh, going forward.
0: Amazing, we appreciate it. And, and in the meantime, I, I, I know that conversations like this and this podcast do do reach out you know to, to a lot of people. And so I'm sure your story has, has resonated. I know your story has resonated with folks. Um, so thanks for taking the time. I know you're very busy, so I really appreciate you taking the time to come in and, uh, and have a chat with us.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, wonderful, thanks. Okay, thank you once again to Kristen uh, for coming onto this program. Um, I really enjoyed that conversation, not only because Kristen's story is is very profound, and I think it's going to resonate with a lot of folks. I also like that Kristen had the courage to talk about, you know what we could be doing better in our system, in our society to support individuals, um, you know with their substance use challenges. Uh, sometimes it's a, a hard conversation to broach, and um, just the fact that Kristen can can speak so candidly about it, you know, I, I really, uh, I think it's important. I, I, I really wish that more people, um, you know, could speak like Kristen did with such authority on, uh, you know, what she sees uh, could make a big difference, um, you know, for, for folks um, with with addiction and homelessness and mental health challenges. So uh, thank you once again to Kristen. Really closed out the year in style here. Um, but we will be back. Uh, I'm going to be taking a little bit of a, of a break here, but um, you can definitely expect uh, more podcasts to be rolling out, um, you know, come mid-January. So uh, please stay tuned for that. Uh, this season is still far from over. Um, until then, I hope you have a wonderful holidays. I hope everyone stays uh, safe and um, continues to progress in their own journeys. And um, we will see you on the flip side. Uh, and remember, recovery is possible. Please never give up hope. Uh, My name is Blake Anderson from the Umbrella Society. Have a good night.